Let's talk about the digital identity, the podcast connecting identity and business. I am your host, Oscar Santolaya. Come and meet the UB Secure team at the Gardner Identity and Access Management Summit in London on the 6th and 7th of March. To find out more, take a look at the UB Secure events page www.ubsecure.com slash events. Hello and thank you for joining us to this first episode of Let's Talk About This Identity in this new year, 2023. And we want to start hearing very mm, things about the future, very futuristic. We have a really amazing guest to start this year. Let me introduce you, Dr. Mark Van Reimerman. He is the digital speaker He is a leading strategic futurist who thinks about how emerging technologies change organizations, society, and the metaverse. He is the founder of the Digital Futures Institute with a mission to ensure a thriving digital future for businesses and society. Van Reichmann is an international keynote speaker. He's five times author. And his latest book is Future Visions, which was written in five days in collaboration with artificial intelligence. I definitely want to hear more about that. Hi, Mark. Welcome. Thank you very much, Oscar, for having me on the show. It's great to be here. Yeah, definitely our pleasure. And well, Happy New Year. <laughs> happy New Year to you too. Yeah, we are still in the beginning of 2023. Please tell us about yourself and how, yeah, what was your journey to this world of identity, metaverse, and yeah, everything that you are doing today. Um, sure, sounds good. Well, obviously, you already uh, gave a very nice introduction, but I'll um, add some things to it. So um, I've been a keynote speaker for over a decade. I am a strategic futurist, so it means I really think about emerging technologies. And I try to understand what these technologies, these emerging cutting-edge technologies mean for, for you and me, for organizations, for society, and how we can benefit from them because you know these technologies are constantly evolving. So I've been doing that for over a decade. I've been speaking all around the world about that. I've been, as you said, books and I really try to do always to practice what I preach and uh, so that means that I you know when the pandemic hit I created myself an avatar I created myself as a hologram to deliver keynotes as such I'm currently working on building a digital twin of myself to understand what are the consequences of creating a digital twin of yourself a synthetic human so to say and how does it influence whatever we do I am very much involved in you know, uh, big data, blockchain, uh, artificial intelligence, and the convergence of these technologies, which we all yeah, are coming together in the metaverse, of which was my fourth book, Step Into the Metaverse, where a big part of that is also focused on identity. Because I believe that the metaverse will unleash a sort of a Cambrian explosion of identity, and it's very important how to deal with that. And I've also been involved in a startup, which unfortunately failed, but you know, that's, that's a, a startup life, focused on identity. Identity focused on fighting misinformation with a reputation-based system. It's very challenging to do anything in this space because we are you know, very much used to a certain identity system that we have in our society and shifting that is quite challenging. But I'm sure we'll, we'll get to that during this, this episode. So yeah, that's basically what I do. And yeah, uh, indeed, my latest book, Future Visions, written, edited and designed by AI. I'm sure uh, some of you have he heard of ChatGPT, which is taking the internet by storm. And at the moment it arrived, I thought, well, I'm going to grasp this opportunity to write a book with it. So I literally wrote it in five days and I didn't change a word. I didn't maybe like five or 10 words that I changed myself, but the rest is exactly written by AI. 
And it was an experiment for me to understand what is possible with off-the-shelf technology. Um, and it's quite quite surprising how good it is, but also how not good it is. It's not the holy grail. It's fantastic technology, but there are definitely some some caveats. And it was a fantastic experience to do. That sounds very interesting. So you you wrote a full book just using the chat GPT that many people are talking about these days from last at least last two months, I would say. Yeah, quite a lot about that. And yeah, super interesting journey you have had. One of the last things you said is about the misinformation. Every, every time I hear that word, like, mm, really have to do more about that. And and it's not easy, right? It's it's definitely not easy. It's, and that, come, that will come also on the metaverse, which is actually the main thing we like to discuss with you. So it's skimming through the pages of your last second book, Step Into the Metaverse, How the Immersive Internet Will Unlock a trillion dollar social economy. So I, I read part of your book. It's, it's very interesting. So, so let's let's go into that. To start with a common idea, please, could you give your definition of metaverse? Yes, that's a very good point to start because the metaverse is a very, very abstract concept, which many people have different perspectives of what it actually is. For the book, I did about 100 in-depth interviews with the stakeholders who are building the metaverse. I did about 150 surveys. And interestingly, I got uh, enough. I got like almost 250 different definitions of what the metaverse is which sort of shows you how difficult a concept it is. I sort of derived my own definition from this. And to me, the metaverse is the next iteration of the internet. It's where the physical and the digital worlds are, are converging and where the physical moves into the digital and the digital moves into the physical. Now, that's a lot of information in there. And so we can briefly unpack it a little bit. So if we start with the first one, where the physical moves into the digital. Basically, this conversation that we have, you could argue is part of a very, very early phase of the metaverse. Because you are physically in Finland, I'm physically in Australia, and we are digitally connected through through our computers, and we have this conversation. It's a 2D connection, so yeah, our screens are 2D, so it's not immersive, but you could argue this is part of the metaverse. Other parts of the metaverse are, which I think are very, very important, is, for example, digital twins, where we create a digital replica of a physical asset that we then interact with in the digital world. And we can just monitor it or we can actually interact with it. And then any changes that we make in the digital world will have an effect in the physical world. But that's also part of the metaverse. Often people think that virtual reality is the most important part of the metaverse. But to me, it's only one channel to access the metaverse in an immersive way. The other part, the other channel, so to say, is augmented reality, which means that we bring the digital into the physical world. And I think that part is going to be much more important and much bigger because it allows us basically to create like infinite layers on top of reality. Uh, and these layers, they can be for entertainment. So we can have, I don't know, a flying purple dragon above the opera house here in Australia. Or you can use it to understand when you're driving to have a winter reality where there's a parking space available or whatever you can come up with. And I think that's that's also a very, very important part of the metaverse. And I think in the next decade or so, we'll see that computers will disappear, smartphones will disappear, tablets will disappear. And they will all be replaced by uh, headsets at first, augmented reality headsets, I think. Uh, they will become uh, miniaturized, they will become very sleek glasses that you can wear. And you don't need a laptop anymore, you don't need a smartphone anymore because you have it all in front of your eyes. So the metaverse is the immersive internet. And this immersive internet basically will become as pervasive as the air that we breathe. And it will mean it will move from making a conscious decision to go on the internet. So if you want to go on the internet today, you have to grab your phone and start doing something. And it will switch to being in the internet. 
So being fully immersed and being part of the internet, where the internet is as pervasive as the air we breathe or the energy that we use. And this internet will be 3D, and that's much more in line with what we humans are used to, because we are 3D humans. So we thrive in a 3D environment, much more so than in a 2D environment. So that's sort of what's going to happen. There's a lot of information, but in short, it's where the physical and the digital worlds are converging, creating this immersive 3D internet that we can connect with and can be part of. Yes, you said that for writing this book on the metaverse, you have interviewed at least 100 of entrepreneurs who are building some their metaverse versions or some product related to the metaverse. So I'd like to know from those conversations that you have had, so what had been their main motivation? So what, what they are spending their time building those and not something else? So what, let's say, the main motivation that you have found in common among these entrepreneurs? Well, I think it's a very good question. And I think what I noticed is that everyone that I spoke to understands that the metaverse is the next iteration of the internet. It is the future. Whether we want it or not, whether we believe in it or not, it will define the next 10, 20, 30 years, if not more. And so any smart entrepreneur should dive headfirst into that, because if you would have done that in the 19, uh, end of the 1990s, you would have been, you know, uh, had a good chance to be the next Amazon. That's what I think is happening, you know, because we had first Web 1, then we had like sort of the mobile web with the launch of the iPhone, we had the social web with the launch of all the social media platforms, and now we're moving to the immersive web. And so there's a ton of work to be done. There's a ton of money to be made because several banks and major strategy consultants say that uh, by 2030, the metaverse will drive between five and $13 trillion for the global economy. Personally, I think it's going to be a lot more simply by looking at the impact that the internet had already on our society. So it makes just good business sense to dive into the metaverse to see what you can contribute to to this next iteration of the internet. Besides, personally, um, I think that the metaverse is a fascinating environment to work in because it's all novel, it's all magical, it's all all the things that can become true in the metaverse. There are no laws of physics in the metaverse, so you, we're not, we don't have any restrictions for what we can build in the metaverse. And I think we can create this magical world, this magical virtual world, these magical augmented digital experiences that are not possible in the physical world. And I personally find it fascinating. So I really enjoy being part of that. And I think over time, when the more we step into the metaverse, because mind you, the metaverse is still a few years out, the more society steps into the metaverse, the more people will experience this magic as well. Yeah, so different motivation. It sounds, sounds to me, it's more like, I know that there will be this new paradigm. So the Technology is coming anyway. It sounds like that. And, and the entrepreneur have to be there. So there's, yeah, sounds like those are the main motivations. Yeah, I want to add one to that because it's, it's so my book has been, I've meant it as a blueprint for an open metaverse. And an open metaverse is really focused on how can we create a metaverse that's for us, for you and me, the consumers, and that's owned and controlled by us and not necessarily owned and controlled by big tech or a very, very tiny elite who controls whatever we do online, which currently the current internet is like that. You know, we don't control our own data. We don't control our own digital identity. And this is all, and the, and the internet is basically controlled by a handful of very, very powerful, very big technology companies. Now, with the metaverse, with the amount of data that we'll create in this immersive internet, which will be 100 times more than we do today, if not even more, I think it's crucial that we own and control our own data, that we control our own digital assets, and that we control our own 
identity and reputation. Because we don't want to live in a world where the Zuckerbergs of this world can decide whether or not you're allowed to have access to this immersive internet or not. And I think that is something really, really important. Of course, we have to build it in the correct way because you know, with building something decentralized also come a lot of, a lot of challenges. But that's what I did for the book. And most of the people that I spoke to, they tried to do that as well. So for a lot of people that I spoke to, it's they're driven by this quest of building an open metaverse that's, that's there for us and to change the paradigm from a centralized internet to a decentralized. Yeah, definitely. Excellent. That's something I read on your book, the, the concept of the open metaverse. It's great that many of these entrepreneurs have that in mind. So something else that you just mentioned is uh, it's about, of course, identity. Again, thinking of the companies who are now building the metaverse, how in top of their mind is is digital identity. So it's a component that they are thinking every day that, yeah, this is part of metaverse or something that is, is neglected. So what would you say? Well, I think that the digital identity is a very, very important part of the metaverse. And it was also confirmed to the very people that I talked to. Simply because, as I mentioned at the start, in the metaverse, we can be whomever we want to be. Whether that is, I don't know, a flying dragon, whether that is a, a walking piano, whether that's a talking mushroom. It really doesn't matter. You can literally be whoever you want to be. And identity in the metaverse is really, really important. Much more important than we think today. And if we ask Generation Z, those born after 95, or Generation Alpha, those born after 2010, to them, and this has been done, to them, their digital identity is as or even more important than their physical identity. Let that sink in a bit, because that's that's a paradigm shift. Your digital identity being more important than your physical identity. It's, that's a completely shift of mind, a mindset. And therefore, we see that in the metaverse, uh, digital fashion is really important. Because just like in the physical world, you want to dress a certain way to showcase who you are and to display your identity, you also want to do that in the metaverse. So digital fashion is a multi-billion industry for people to do that. Now, what research also has shown is that the moment people can be whomever they want to be in the metaverse, they start experimenting with their identity. And there's research that people switch gender, just to understand what that means. There's also research which showed that if you are an introvert person in the physical world and you use an extrovert character in the metaverse or in virtual reality, and you play with that character for a couple of hours, then you will continue to display those extrovert characteristics in the physical world afterwards. Fascinating, I think, how that is works so that the digital, our digital identity can affect our physical identity. Now, of course, you know, I think when we talk about identity in the metaverse, we also have to think about the challenges that come with it. Because if you can be, I don't know, walking a piano, for that matter, how do I know that that walking piano is Oscar? You know, how do I know that? How can I be certain that I'm not dealing with, with someone else who has stolen your identity? So digital identity, or in, in this case, I would argue self-sovereign identity, is very, very crucial for a metaverse, especially an open metaverse. Less so a closed metaverse, which is controlled by centralized companies because they can do your identity check and they can verify that you are a real person. Your identity can still be hacked and, and be stolen, but it's more easy to control it. That also has, has, has problems to it. In an open metaverse, self-sovereign identity is really, really important because it allows us to control who has access to our data for how long, uh, to which data, and have full control over assets and our identity. So. I think if we think that identity is important on the current web, 
you know, we have to think twice because it will be a lot more important in the metaverse. And for many millions of kids and teenagers, their digital identity is already more important than their physical identity. Yeah, that thing that you just said for a second time is, is very, very important to, to think about because we need to protect those, those identities because the big bunch of people who are going to be in when metaverse is more ubiquitous, if we call it, in the next 10, 20 years, will be using heavily and we have to protect those those identities. Another thing you mentioned is if you have some of these, uh, for example, like a flying dragon, for instance, Oscar is a flying dragon in some metaverse, right? So people who are inside a metaverse will see this flying dragon, my name maybe, but how I enter to this metaverse. So that's the point that many people don't don't think, right? So I should have been call it logged in or authenticated properly in, in order to enter to that metaverse. Well, that's a major technical and cultural challenge that you just mentioned. Because what we don't want is that if I go to Fortnite and then to Roblox and then Decentraland and then to Sandbox and then to whatever other virtual world, that I, every time I have to recreate my flying dragon or every time I have to create a new account, just like we do in the real world, actually. So that's not what we want to have. Now, in order to achieve that, we need interoperability. So you need to be able to have an identity that you can take to a place, just like you take your identity to a pub or a restaurant or a club or whatever uh, in the physical world. So we need to have the same approach. Now, there are some companies that are working on this. Now, Ready Play One is, is a company that, that's building an avatar tool so that you can create your avatar once and then you can use that avatar in over a few thousand platforms already. Um, so that's a start. It's a centralized company. It's nothing self-sovereign identity with it. There's nothing blockchain, nothing decentralized. So you, you actually don't control your identity. But at least it's a first step that you can have one account to do this. But we already have that in the 2D world, which is called a Facebook login or a Google login. You know, login with your Google account, login with your Facebook account, which, by the way, I would recommend not to do because, yes, it, it is easy, but it also means that your data goes to Facebook, goes to Google, and they have you know, even more access into what you are doing. So please don't do that. <laughs> I know it's easy, but just don't do it. So from that perspective, your identity is really important, and we need to be able to build this interoperability so that you can take your avatar, your identity that you create, your flying purple dragon that you have created to all these different platforms. And all these different platforms have different graphical requirements, different computational requirements, uh, which makes it really, really challenging to do that. If you go to platform A, it might be hyper-realistic and your dragon looks really, really hyper-realistic. But then you go to a platform like Minecraft or Roblox and it's very, very blocky. And how do you adapt that? How do you have that one identity work in both worlds? That's a massive technical challenge that's definitely not solved yet. That does requires uh, probably quite a bit of work to achieve that. But yeah, what we need to have is this interoperability that you can take your avatar, you, you can take your flying dragon, and you can <laughs> fly from one world to the other. Yeah, exactly. Now that you mentioned flying from one world to the other, how open these companies, like Fortnite, let's say Disney, or whichever is the other, uh, Minecraft, no? are they open to that interoperability. What do you feel that they're open to, to have that or they prefer to have it closed? Well, most likely they will prefer to have it closed, which I think is a very short-sighted approach. Yes, having a closed network offers you a lot of value. Uh, we can only have to look at mobile uh, mobile messaging. WhatsApp was sold for $19 billion in 2000, what is it, 2014 for a reason, because it's a closed network and you can't send a WhatsApp message to your signal or to your telegram. In Europe, that's going to change with the new laws. In the rest of the world, probably not. So we are very much used to not having this interoperability because for centralized companies, it offers a lot of value. If we do have that interoperability, for society, it brings a lot of value. We only have to look at email. 
Uh, we are able to send an email from a Gmail account to a Hotmail account. Imagine that would not be possible. Or imagine that we, we don't have interoperability for websites, that you can only build a website for, I don't know, Chrome, and then you have to build a completely new website for uh, Internet Explorer, and you can't just switch between. Imagine what that would mean for the world. It would just ruin the Internet. And email is so successful because... I can use Gmail, you can use Hotmail, and we can communicate. So I think it's very short-sighted for these companies. I understand why they think like that, but I think it's very short-sighted and very selfish almost to work on value extraction instead of value creation for society. And so interoperability will add a lot more value to all these platforms. And if you really make it easy and make it you know nice and, and easy for people to come and, and also leave, you will see that if you offer the best product, the best service, that people will still come and you will still make money. It's a different approach. It's an approach from a short-term shareholder approach to a long-term societal stakeholder approach. And I think as a society, we need to make that shift from a long, short-term to long-term. And yeah, I argue and I call every organization to, to make that shift. However, I'm also a realist and I know that that's not very likely and that, that most likely regulation will have to step in to force these people because they probably will not do it by themselves. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with this point about that. And I hope they are listening to they are listening to Mark and they listening to anyone else who is. I hope so too. <laughs> you already mentioned self-sovereign identity. Would you say that this is going to be the dominant paradigm in the metaverse? Well, I hope so. And I think it should be because it's a way that we control who has access to our data. And the best example here is, of course, you know, if I go to a pub and I need to show that I'm over 18, currently in the world, I have to show my driver's license. But on my driver's license, there's a ton of information that's not relevant for the question, are you over 18? Yes or no? Which is a you know just a, a very simple question. And a self-sovereign identity allows it would allow us to answer that question that we can trust without providing all that information. And I think as a society, I think we should want that. We should be able to live in a world where we are not controlled by a centralized entity because generally centralized entities, they either corrupt or they get if they become too powerful or in terms of the countries, democracies change to non-democracies. So it's, I don't think that's the right direction. So from a humanity perspective, I think a self-sovereign identity is the best approach. Now, Obviously, there's also a lot of challenges to it, because if you own and control your own digital identity and it works with the private key and the public key, and your private key is, uh, I don't know, 128 bits, whatever, or even ideally more, whatever, and you're going to lose this long string of numbers because people lose passports and, and, and smartphones all the time, how are we going to deal with that? That question hasn't been answered yet. People will lose their private key. And if your self-sovereign identity is everything that you do and you lose it, then you are in really, really deep trouble. So we need to solve that. It hasn't been solved. And we need to, because it's almost, it's almost an oxymoron. You know, if you, am I going to store my private key with a centralized entity? So then your private key, you know, your self-sovereign identity is no longer self-sovereign, you know? <laughs> and we saw that with the collapse of the various crypto exchanges, if you don't own your private key, the money is not really yours because it can just disappear. And so this is self-sovereign identity, very, very important. It hasn't been cracked yet. And there's still quite some technical challenge that we need to resolve here. Yeah, I believe so. It's super important to, to solve that problem. Absolutely. We've been talking about, you illustrated very nicely all these scenarios. Mostly for individuals, I would say, but if we now focus our attention a bit more into businesses, even government, for instance, organizations just in general. So what are the opportunities or some scenarios you can see 
the metaverse for yeah for organizations and businesses. Well, as I mentioned earlier, you know the metaverse will contribute trillions and trillions of dollars to the global economy. So there are enormous amount of possibilities. They are possibilities for consumer B2C, uh, digital fashion, uh, multi-billion dollar industry, entertainment, immersive sports watching uh, sports or uh, using augmented reality to bring a TV show into your living room. Well, Disney recently released a a sample of that, which looks amazing. Education, you know, uh, if you can learn something in an immersive world, if you can walk around Rome uh, for your history classes, pause whatever's happening to to have a discussion with your your teacher, that, of course, uh, is a lot more powerful. But also from an enterprise perspective, you know, if I am able to collaborate in a virtual world, in a world that works, in a 3D world, that's a lot more intuitive and much, much more logical for us humans to operate in, and that will have a big, a big impact. Early last year, 2022, I was part of a training done by almost a dozen uh, police forces around the world, and they were doing an exercise in the metaverse, in virtual reality, working with you know physical evidence and digital evidence. Uh, everyone was in their own lo- in their own location in Singapore, in, in UAE, Bahrain, Senegal, France, and, and several other countries, and they were able to to solve the scenario, which was a terrorist attack in a, in a hypothetical country. And they all said afterwards that being able to collaborate in a virtual world is really, really nice and it's really easy to get along with. And also because there was no hierarchy, because all the avatars looked the same, that helped because, you know, of course, police forces are very hierarchical. That, of course, uh, that really helped there as well. So there are a lot of benefits to this. Um, you also see it, for example, in design companies, car companies. Yeah, Volvo is doing a lot by using uh, virtual reality or even mixed reality to design cars with remote teams. So instead of building a clay model at a physical location, you build a digital model with your design team just living, working anywhere in the world. It doesn't really matter where they are. All these things will have a big impact. And they will also have a big impact on society. Because, you know, if we think that the pandemic changed working from home, the metaverse will enable working from anywhere, uh, where you can be literally anywhere you want in the world. And eventually, in early next decade, have the feeling as if you are physically present in the office, but you are on a tropical paradise in the Pacific. So that's something where we are going to, still far, far away. <laughs> yeah, sounds, sounds nice. <laughs> <laughs> Final question, Mark. For all business leaders that are listening to us now, what is the one actionable idea that they should write on their agendas today? Educate yourself. And because the world is changing so fast at the moment, um, if you blink your eyes, uh, you've missed the train. And we could have seen that we did that with you know, AI, uh, all the generative AI stuff that's happening at the moment. Even for me, and it's my job to know what's going on, even for me, it's sometimes difficult to understand and to follow and to be up to date of what's going because the de- developments are going so fast. Now, if it's not your core job, which for 99.99% of people it isn't, and it often ends up on a very long to-do list at the, at, at the bottom, Uh, but you need to understand what's happening. And you need to understand, ideally, as an organization, I would also start experimenting with this stuff, small experiments, just to understand what's happening. And then you can take it from there. Yeah, excellent. As, as you say, you are um, you do what you preach. So like your last book, <laughs> interesting, doing your digital twins, this kind of stuff. Yeah, I think I have to do some experiments like that myself. So. <laughs> well, 100%. And that's, you know, for me, doing these experiments, they help me to understand, to better understand these technologies. And so if you want to understand what, technology XYZ means for your business, start experimenting with it. Excellent. Well, thanks a lot, Mark. It has been a really fascinating conversation going for moments very deep into the the data identity, which is something that we are very passionate about that. And you gave us really good ideas and updates what's going on. 
please let us know if someone would like to follow the conversation with you or get more about what you're doing. What are the best ways? So I'm pretty visible online. So the easiest way is to go find me on my website, which is thedigitalspeaker.com. You'll find my books there, my academic papers, my videos, my articles. Um, I have almost a thousand articles about these topics, uh, all available to consume. Feel free to email me, connect with me on LinkedIn, on Twitter. I'm happy to connect with anyone. Fantastic. Again, it was a pleasure talking with you, Mark, and all the best. Thank you very much for having me, Oscar. It's been a great conversation. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk About Digital Identity, produced by UbiSecure. Stay up to date with episode at ubisecure.com slash podcast or join us on Twitter at ubisecure and use the hashtag LTADI. Until next time, 